What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Today it is March 11. We are through the fourth weekend of college baseball, so we are... We're humming right along in the season, and back again with me on the podcast today are Dave Serrano and Joe Healy. So welcome in, guys. Uh, excited to talk about college baseball again this week. Glad to be back and excited to talk about another good week in college baseball, Teddy. Yeah, same. Thanks, Teddy. So this weekend, we, uh, we had a lot of interesting action around the country. Uh, the poll remains somewhat the same. You can check out the top 25 there at BaseballAmerica.com, and I would encourage you to do so. Uh, Vanderbilt remains number one this week. Number two, again, UCLA. Stanford is up to number three after a convincing series win against Texas. Florida, Florida State are up to four and five. Oregon State, six. Mississippi State, seven. North Carolina, one of your biggest losers of the week, down to eight after getting swept at Clemson. And we have Texas Tech and Texas rounding out uh, your top ten. Again, you can check out the rest of the, the rankings over at BaseballAmerica.com. I would also note that this week we have one new team in the top 25. That is Tennessee. Uh, the Vols are ranked for the first time since 2014. We'll get into Tennessee a little more later, uh, but they are off to a nice 15-1 and start, though they lost uh, on Sunday, dropping them from the ranks of the undefeated, which are we are down to two undefeated teams in the country. They are North Carolina State and Arizona State. Both teams are at 15-0, and 0, and uh, things are going to be tough this week for North Carolina State, so Arizona State is a little bit lighter slate, so if you're, if you're trying to make a pick as to which team remains undefeated the longest, Arizona State might be the way to go with uh, North Carolina State having Florida State on, on deck this weekend. But we'll get to all of that in a minute. I wanted to start here with Florida State and Mike Martin, who won his 2,000th career game. Yes, that is career win number 2,000 on Sunday, uh, or on Saturday, the second game of a doubleheader on Saturday, and the finale against Virginia Tech, a series that Florida State won. To, to open ACC play at 2-1. and one. Mike Martin, of course, last year became the winningest coach in college baseball history, passing the great Augie Garrido, and now this year becomes the first coach uh, in any college sport to reach 2,000 wins, which is just a remarkable number. This is his 40th and final season uh, at Florida State. He is averaging just an incredible number of wins, obviously, uh, and has won f- at least 40 games for you know, the entirety of his career, never missed a regional. Uh, just a, a, a remarkable career that we've talked about a lot. Uh, but as he hits w- this milestone, uh, you know, this, this very significant milestone and the last milestone, 
he will career milestone he will reach uh, in terms of wins. Uh, it is worth going over just the remarkable accomplishment that is his career again. Uh, but Dave, you, you've competed against Mike Martin before. What stands out to you the, about him as a competitor? Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, congratulations to Coach Martin, better known as 11 around the country. Uh, his teams were always well prepared. Um, you know, they, they, they had good players. They had some great players, but it was never always the best players in the country. But their teams knew how to win, and that probably has something to do with the tradition you talked about, the many years of winning. But the thing I walked away all the time competing against Coach Martin, and it wasn't a lot, was what a genuine, kind man he was. And, um, you know, the you know we could talk about the 2,000 wins and, and still climbing, um, but it, for me, it's the impact that I believe he's had on college baseball. He's had on the people around Florida State, the, the administration of Florida State, and the players and their families. And um, he's going to always be remembered for, I don't think anyone will ever break that record and will, will coach long enough to, to surpass him and in, in the amount of wins. But it's the people that he has touched throughout his life and had an impact on that I think is probably the, the biggest uh, accolade that he can have. But that's the thing with me is that he was just a genuine, uh, he's a genuine man. And, and I have to stay partial in this. But I think a great ending to the story for college baseball in this 2019 season, and I know, Teddy, it's your preseason pick to win the national championship, but what what would be anything and walk away as the winningest coach in all time and with the national hoisting the national championship trophy in his last season? You know, it's kind of like the Atlanta Braves through the years or the Buffalo Bills through the years in NFL football. People get criticized when they don't win the final game in the, the national championship or a championship. But I tell you what, looking back over Coach Martin's career, I don't know if one or two national championships would mean more than 40 years of unbelievable consistency of what he has shown for, for 39 years and now his 40th year. And, you know, they're, they've, they're off to a great start, and I think that 40-plus win is within reach again. And, and – uh, but, again, I'm getting a little wordy on it, but he, what I'll remember Coach Martin about is, is, a, is a winner, but more importantly a genuine man that, is, that has done so much for, the, for Florida State University and for that baseball program. What, what's remarkable to me, I mean, there are many things that are remarkable to me about, about Mike Martin, but one of the, the most remarkable things to me is that there has been no let-up ever. They have always made a regional. They have always won 40 games. And it looks like they're well on their way to doing that again this season in, in his last year. And that is one of the things that, that sets him apart from his contemporaries or, or, and, and why he is the one to reach 2,000 wins, why Augie didn't do it, why some of these other guys didn't do it. Because you know there, there are a lot of things that have worked in favor for Mike Martin over the years, starting with the fact that he's been the head coach of Florida State for 40 years. But... He, the, the fact that there's never been any let-up is, is remarkable. Stanford under Mark Marquess at the end, you know, they missed back-to-back NCAA tournaments uh, before his final season when, when they were able to get back in. And, you know, Augie, as good as it was, the last four or five years there at Texas were not the same. They were under 500 at one point. 
And, and Mike Martin just hasn't had anything like that. Jim Morris, the, the last two years, Miami missed the tournament. And, you know, again, it, not only has it not happened at the end, it, it didn't happen in the middle. It's never happened at Florida State. And uh, just that, that pure consistency is, is absolutely remarkable to me. Um, and I, I have a piece coming about this at, at BaseballAmerica.com uh, this week just about how unbreakable this record may very well be. Um, but if you look at the, you know, there are 13 other active coaches who rank currently in the top 50 in career wins. None of them, due to age, is going to make up the gap between them and 2,000 career wins. The closest is Mike Fox, and he needs more than 550 wins. And uh, that, he has told me, that's, that's not going to happen. He's not shooting for that. But even if you look at some of the, the coaches that are kind of the next generation behind them, the, uh, you know, guys like, like Dan McDonald or, or Kevin O'Sullivan, um, you know, those guys would have to average 40 wins for the next 33 years uh, to reach 2,000 wins. <laughs> that's basically Mike Martin's career that you're talking about. They need, they need, they've already accomplished so much. They've been head coaches for 10 years, and they still need you know, 33 more years of 40 wins to get there. And, uh, I mean, that's just realistically not going to happen for those guys. And, well, well, Ted, Teddy, I'd like to add this, too, and I should have said this earlier. That the other thing that goes unnoticed is where he's located. They're in the state of Florida, and being one that's from the state of California, their midweek games are not easy wins all the time. When you're playing Central Florida and South Florida and Miami and Florida, those are not those are tough games, and Florida State has always been in a good conference in the AC. You know, now they're in the AC. They've, they've been in the ACC. I mean that that that's not easy to get to forty wins every year, and I think that's something that probably goes unnoticed a little bit. It is not in a region of the country <clears throat> that you can get this pile of easy wins all the time. The other thing is the amount of times they've they've gone to the College World Series is that, and they've hosted a lot, and they're well deserving of hosting a lot. But again, those three and four seeds that a lot of times get sent to their place are good teams that are usually from within their region of, of the country. So I, it, a lot of kudos goes to what he's done. And, and let's not forget, because I've been an assistant coach and I've had great assistant coaches over my career as a head coach. Kudos to every assistant that's helped him along the way. And I know Coach Martin will be the first one to say that. Is it, it, This isn't all about Coach Martin. This is about the numerous of assistant coaches that he's had over his tenure that have helped him reach this milestone. Joe, do you have, I mean, when we look around sports, it's hard to find anything that's analogous to, to Florida State's run at all. But do you have anything, does anything spring to mind to you that, that comes close to, to this kind of consistent success? No. Back to you guys. Um, no, I, I mean, that's my honest answer, though, is because the, the, what you guys are describing is so unbelievable. And I was trying to do the same mental exercise you were doing, Teddy, where it's like, OK, let me let me map out the path for a coach to be able to get to 2000 as well. And you just you can't really do it with any, you know, realistically. And I guess the argument to that is, well, when when Mike Martin started at Florida State, you wouldn't have been able to map it out either. It just it turns out that he was that good at what he does. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that I can come up with anything that's even in the, in, in that realm. 
Um, part of it is because baseball is so unique in that you play so many games relative to even basketball. You're playing about twice as many games as, as college basketball teams do. And so it's just tough to come up with, with um, a comparison and to find anyone who could even come close to doing something uh, like what he's accomplished. And you name the ones who are kind of in that neighborhood. I mean, I think Kevin Sullivan's probably the guy that most people would come up with as, as a, a guy who could get it done. And, you know, it's just hard to put that level of success on anybody. Um, and it's just kind of a testament to uh, all that he's accomplished, of course. I mean, you talk about how different baseball is just because it has so many more games. And what I, I was listening to the, the CBS College Basketball Podcast last week, and they were talking about how, um, you know, Carolina and Duke had, you know, we're, we're meeting this weekend and that they had two of the, they're two of the winningest programs ever. And they both have more than 2,000 wins. There are only four college basketball programs that have more than 2,000 wins. Like, I know it's a different sport and everything, but in their history, there are only four programs in the country in basketball that have more than 2,000 wins. Mike Martin has more wins than all but four college basketball programs. And obviously more than football because they only play 12 games and for the longest time didn't even play that many. So it's... 2,000 is just such a big, big number, and uh, he's just such a big, big part of Florida State, and it's going to be very strange next year uh, when he's not in their dugout. Um, you know, they play on a field that, that has his name on it. Um, you know, he's been a part as a player or a head coach or an assistant coach of something like two-thirds of uh, all of Florida State's program history. Uh, it, it's it's been a remarkable career, and Dave, like you said, I did pick them to win the national championship. I, uh, I'm riding the sentimental streak a little bit when I do that, but I also think this team's really good. And uh, you know, they got pressed by Virginia Tech this weekend. They needed a walk-off to win on Friday night in kind of crazy fashion. Uh, and then they, they uh, got one hit in the first game of that doubleheader and then bounced back for a nice, solid, series-clinching win. I think we're going to find out a little bit more about the Knolls this week. They face a really tough week. They go to Florida uh, on the midweek for the first of the, their rivalry games, and then they go up to North Carolina State on the weekend. And you know, this week could be a tough week for Florida State. I mean, it will be a tough week. We'll see how they handle it. Um, and you know, this is a big test for, for a young team. You know, we've talked about Florida State before. There, there are a lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores that they're relying on, and uh, they're they're going to have to show that they they've uh, you know adjusted to their new roles or to college baseball uh, because this week it's it's going to come at them in a hurry I think. Elsewhere in the ACC we had Clemson sweeping North Carolina. Uh, that was a pretty surprising result. North Carolina had come into the year uh, ranked in the top five as the ACC favorite and had done nothing to. <laughs> you know, really dissuade us from, from thinking that to this point. They played really well through the first three weekends. Clemson, of course, coming off of a tough series loss uh, against South Carolina in that rivalry series. And they really got it done this weekend against North Carolina. They uh, had two walk-off wins and a, a blowout in the middle uh, to, to sweep that series. And, you know, it's a, it was a kind of a weird series. The First game of Saturday, for the first game got, got postponed due to rain, so they played a doubleheader on Saturday. The, and in the first game, North Carolina goes into the ninth leading uh, by one run, and that turns into a loss on a balk, um, just a, a strange play all the way around. 
um, there to, to secure a win for Clemson. And then Clemson really blew up Tyler Baum, who to this point had been maybe the most, maybe the best of North Carolina's three really good starters. And then on Sunday in the finale, North Carolina again holding a one-run lead going into the ninth inning. And again, Clemson finds a way this time down to its last strike. Logan Davidson hit a bomb uh, to right field to, to finish off the sweep. Uh, pretty remarkable weekend, pretty remarkable turnaround for Clemson. Uh, they really needed that because if, if they'd compounded the series loss uh, South Carolina with one against North Carolina, then you're starting to dig yourself a bit of a hole. And they, they went out and, and made sure that did not happen. But from a North Carolina perspective, Joe, what does this weekend mean for the Tar Heels? Well, it's tough, and I think it's tougher for them probably emotionally just getting over that and the, the possible hangover from that than it really is in the in the win-loss column because, as you described, the losses were just kind of gutting and in their own different ways, frankly. I mean, in that first game of the doubleheader, it, you know, it was a walk-off balk, but they all had, you know, Keir Meredith of uh, Clemson had an RBI hit that was just kind of a little dribble up the middle uh, through a shift that that just kind of found its way to the outfield that if if it's a few feet either direction that's an out and the rally probably never even gets that far Um, so that's and then then of course you lose it on a balk that's a tough way to lose and you get blown out and that's tough in a different way Uh, they really never were in that second game and then the third game I mean they, they got two outs in that in that ninth inning just just like that and they were one out away and uh, then you have a double and a home run, boom, boom, uh, and suddenly the game's over. And that's just kind of a jarring thing that, you know, five minutes earlier they probably thought um, they were going to wrap up a win and kind of salvage a game, which is a big deal on the road in ACC play. Um, now, the good news with that is they've got a five-game week coming up, which isn't always a great thing because those are just exhausting weeks, I can imagine. But, you know, they're going to be able to get back on the field here pretty quickly. Uh, they've got midweeks with Gardner-Webb and, and UNC Wilmington. Uh, so they will get a chance to kind of get back on the metaphorical horse there, which I think is probably going to be helpful. And they've got Miami coming up, and that's where it's, you know, something where it's important that they kind of they do get back on the horse mentally and kind of get back to winning uh, because Miami's uh, has proven to be a tough customer. So that's not going to be an easy one. Um, even home in the win loss column. I don't know that it's really all that damaging. I mean, wins in, in March count just as much as wins in May, but at least now, I mean, by the time we get to May, if North Carolina is North Carolina and does what we expect them to do in ACC play, um, this series sweep is going to be a big feather in Clemson's cap. But I, we, I think we will have largely kind of forgotten about it with North Carolina as long as their record and their uh, their profile ends up looking like we think it will. So I think it's more just kind of an immediate emotional thing to overcome versus any sort of um, hole they're in from a win-loss standpoint. Um, where, it, where it could end up mattering if we really want to kind of get into the weeds with this is, you know, when you're splitting hairs at the end of the year and looking at resumes and looking at teams that are going to be top eights or hosts, um, it really does get down to splitting hairs, and this was an opportunity for North Carolina to get some quality road wins. I mean, it's I think we think Clemson's probably going to be a top 25 RPI team, certainly a top 50 RPI team, um, and that's an opportunity to get road wins against a quality opponent, and the RPI, of course, gives you a bonus for road wins, and um, it looks good in your nitty-gritty report that you have the top 25 wins. Um, and this was an opportunity to at least grab one of those, um, and that's an opportunity by the wayside. And you only get, even in a, a quality league like the ACC, you only get so many of those opportunities. Um, so, again, that's a really minor thing, but something that can end up coming back up. But in the grand scheme of things, like I said, if, if North Carolina is what we think they will be, I think this will kind of be ancient history by the time May rolls around. Um, but certainly a tough thing for them to swallow. 
Yeah, I, I think it's fortunate for them that they're in the division that they're in. This is always fortunate for them in baseball right now, but the A's is the harder division of the two. And you know, North Carolina, with that 0-3 record, is bad in terms of just trying to win their division, um, which is, is helpful uh, in, in terms of building resumes as well. But you know, they, they are in a division where, where they should be able to bounce back from that. But they're going to have to get back uh, to it pretty quickly here. Uh, because that Miami team coming in is improved. They're sitting at 12-3 and three and coming off a nice series win against Tech. So it's going to be important for North Carolina, like Clemson didn't let that South Carolina series loss. North Carolina also has to uh, quickly get back to it, like you said there, Joe. Dave, have you ever seen a walk-off balk? Oh, I've seen, I've seen uh, many of them for my team I've been part of, and I've also seen them against the team I've been coaching and. <laughs> And it, it, it's an exciting part of baseball, obviously. It is. And, and I saw the videotape of Logan Davidson and in that atmosphere, and it had to be really exciting, especially with those two heralded programs going toe-to-toe and with Clemson having the sweep on the line to, to sweep a great North Carolina team. I'm sure the atmosphere is unbelievable. But, yeah, I've been part of, I've been part of the walk-off bombs for the good and also for the bad, too. What about a balk? Because that one feels a little a little rare. Oh, Monty Lee told me he'd oh. never never seen a walk off balk before. Oh, I, okay, I misunderstood you. The balk, I, I have never been part of one, but I've actually sat in and saw one. Um, it was the year I left Cal State Fullerton to take the Irvine job, and we did qualify for the regionals in two thousand and five. So I was in attendance for the Fullerton Arizona State Regional at Fullerton. And uh, actually, it was the Super Regional. And uh, in game one, there was a balk call. And I, I know the umpire well. He's out of Tennessee, but I won't mention his name. Called the balk on the Arizona State pitcher to leave Arizona State on the field and give Fullerton game one of the Super Regional. And credit to Coach Murphy, who was coaching Arizona State at the time. He could have really have lost it because that is it's a tough way to lose a game at any time. But it's even more expensive when you're in a super regional and you lose game one. They came back and beat Fullerton the next two games to go to their first World Series in a long time. We, we had matched up a lot with Arizona State in regionals and super regionals, and we had been lucky enough to beat them quite a few times and knock them out. But I gave a lot of credit to Coach Murphy because he could have really lost his school, but I think he played it in reverse, and he really played a psychological game on his team, and mentally they came back stronger than ever to win the series. But that was a as a, just as a fan sitting in the stands, Teddy, that was tough to take. Even though, obviously, I was partial to Cal State Fullerton, I had known a lot of those players that recruited them, had been in the dugout with Coach Vanderhoek and Coach Horton, it was tough to see anybody losing that. And I, when Joe was talking about that, about the balk and all that, how North Carolina lost, right away my mind went to that game because it, that's a tough way to lose the game. I fortunately have never been part of one for the good or the bad, but... Uh, that's a that's a that's a heartbreaker to lose the game that way. Yeah, if you watch the video of of the way that game ended against Carolina, uh, you know, Clemson for a second doesn't actually know what's going on. It, it takes the umpire. The, so the the balk play was uh, Joey Lancelotti faked a pickoff to third base with a runner at third base, and you're no longer allowed to do that. That was that was outlawed this year, and so it takes everyone a second to realize like, oh, that happened, and oh, he's not allowed to do that. And then the umpires, you know, make the call, and the the runner on third, you know, jogs home, 
and Clemson starts celebrating. But it's, it, it was, you know, if you contrast that to the video of Logan Davidson's home run on Sunday to win the game, you know, I, everyone knows from the second Davidson hits the ball, it's gone and, you know, can start the celebrations. It's just a, a, a very strange scene, and, and Monty Lee told me it was, it was kind of an enigmatic way to win a game because at first he wasn't even sure that they were going to call it. Uh, and they really had no choice, but, you know, that's just such a, such a strange way to end a game. But speaking of Logan Davidson, uh, Dave, I know you got a chance to talk with him last week for a story that we'll have uh, soon in Baseball America. And he seems to start to come around. He, uh, his batting average popped up like 30, 35 points this weekend. He has that huge home run on Sunday. Just what, uh, what, what do you feel like? He, do you feel like he's starting to heat up? Well, I do. And, you know, it was a pleasure talking to him. Well, what an unbelievable young man he is. And it, it just goes to show why of all the accolades that he'll continue to get throughout the year and why Clemson's leaning on him so much to help take them where they want to go. But the thing that, that made me feel really confident that he was going to – and you, even in the South Carolina series, he had a horrible series. You could start to see that the bat was coming along a little bit. I thought he pressed a little bit in some of the bats, and he was – you know, he talked to me a lot about how he was being pitched differently this year, kind of like Seth Beer was the year before. And he wasn't comparing himself to Seth Beer, but he was saying how he's kind of the guy that they were pitching around. He wasn't seeing many fastballs anymore. He was having to adjust his approach to seeing more off-speed pitches and not missing his fastball when he got. But, Teddy, the part to me that just knocked me off my socks is, is, you know, we both emphasized it was a small sample size. We had talked about the slow start. And I, I'll be honest with you, I think the slow start was probably more from the people that were sitting in the stands, the fans, the scouting industry, professional people that are wanting to see this guy as a top pick in the country and want to see him come out of the gate quickly. Well, it's 12 games, and that's why you just made a great comment. His average just went up 30 points this weekend. That just goes to show how small the sample size it was after 12 games. But his comment to, to me was he's not worried about his average because there are so many other ways he can help his team. He could help his team defensively, and that, that was the first thing that always I always look at is when a guy struggles offensively, does he take it to defense? Well, he wasn't. He knew that if he wasn't being the guy that they needed, that he can be the best guy that they can be at the shortstop position defensively. He talked about base stealing. When he did get on base with a walk or somehow getting on base, how he could still keep stealing bases, which was going to help his team win. And then the thing was that he said no matter what kind of start he was getting off to, he was just going to continue to be the best teammate and the best team leader that he can be for, for Clemson baseball. And he, he reiterated to me that, he wasn't hearing the outside chatter. He says, that's what we do at Clemson. We don't listen to the outside chatter. It's just about us. And after that conversation with him and how much he talked about his family and his relationship with his father, Mark, and, and all that stuff, it just, it just proved to me that this guy was going to break out of a slump. I didn't know it was going to be this weekend, but how he was going to get, and he did have a good weekend besides the walk-off um, home run, that this guy had his head on right, and he had his tunnel vision of what direction he was going, and he was going to get it turned around. And as I will see, as you'll see in my piece, Clemson had gotten off to a good start. Now they're off to a really good start at 12 or 13 and three or 12 and three. Is when he got hot, what were they going to be able to do then? And and it, it kind of goes to show that with the sweep of North Carolina this weekend. Absolutely, and I, I think that uh, one thing I, I should have mentioned about Clemson earlier is that their pitching this weekend was a lot better uh, in terms of the starters. 
they shuffled their rotation, and uh, a week ago they didn't get anyone pitching past the fourth inning among the starters. And this week, uh, everyone pitched into the sixth. And so if you if they get that starting pitching uh, figured out, and you know I, I think this new look rotation has a chance to to have that figured out, and they get Logan Davidson going, uh, that team sounds like the scary team that we kind of expected they would be uh, coming into the season. Out West, uh, Stanford and Texas had a top 10 showdown this weekend. We've talked about Stanford uh, and Texas a fair amount before. They, they're two of the, the better teams uh, coming out of the gate this season. And so that was a, going to be a fun series. And Texas took the first game on Thursday night. It was a, a four-game uh, deal Thursday to Sunday. And Texas started with a win, and then Stanford responded by really blowing the doors off the horns uh, the next three days there on the farm. And, uh, I, you know, I continue to be very, very impressed with what the Cardinal have done this season. I, I know that there were some questions about what they would do on the mound, given who that they lost last year in, in Tristan Beck and Chris Bubich. But uh, that offense really seems like it's heating up. They beat a good Texas pitching staff pretty good those last three games. And, you know, now as, as Stanford goes into its finals break, uh, they're rolling. They're the number one team in the country. And I, I think that the, the first month of the season has, has been very, you know, they've been one of the most impressive teams uh, to, to start the year. As they go into their break now, I mean, just what, what do you guys make of the Cardinal? And, uh, you know, I, I'm personally not concerned about this from Texas' standpoint. They went and won one game. Uh, you know, if it's a three-game series, I don't think anyone would be looking at it that funny. It's just kind of they go one and three out at Stanford, and uh, it, it is a little tougher. But uh, what are your thoughts uh, coming out of the series, Joe? Yeah, just really impressed with with Stanford. Um, and I think what's kind of scary about uh, for other teams with what Stanford has done is it it really doesn't necessarily feel like we've gotten the best version of Stanford just yet. Uh, the offense is heating up, but they're still waiting on some guys. Andrew Dashback is hitting just above 200, for example. Tim Tawa, veteran, hitting under 200. So, um, you know, and they've had some guys in and out of the lineup. So it, it, it feels like for all the success they've had, and it has been significant, obviously, and, and the good performances they've gotten, um, you know, on the, on the pitching side in particular, um, you know, Eric Miller's been re- really good. Uh, Brennan Beck has been really good. Guys like that, um, that maybe there's still another gear in there. Um, and that has to be scary for, the, for everyone else, particularly in the Pac-12, because this team has already accomplished a lot. And it, it feels like we haven't seen quite their best yet. Um, it is good news for the Pac-12. You know, there's been a lot of hand-wringing about the Pac-12 in recent years. And, and UCLA and, and Stanford have done a lot of heavy lifting for that league. But um, I don't think it's uh, it's pretty inarguable at this point that the Pac-12 looks improved this season. Um, you know, we talked about Arizona State. We've talked about UCLA in the past, now about Stanford. Um, but it's really important that they have a couple of teams that are really kind of carrying the flag um, as, as we get closer and closer to the postseason. And Stanford certainly looks like uh, they are going to be one of those teams. I think Stanford. I think Stanford is is for real. Uh, I, I agree with you, Teddy. I th- I don't think this is anything to panic about for Texas. They go across the country. They play a, a top five team, and yeah, they 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 didn't fare well in the last three games. So I wouldn't panic on Texas um, as of yet. I think if you're Dave Esker at Stanford, your biggest concern is what you said at Gate. They go into that break. I think they're in their they're in finals now for one of their their quarters. That would, as a coach, as a former coach, that would be a concern of mine because they're playing good baseball and they're starting to climb a little bit. And now with that break, I think that does that would concern me a little bit going into that. Is 
with that time off and the, the focus going to the high academics at Stanford and getting through those exams, is that going to disrupt, you know, I'm used to it at Stanford. That's something that goes on there. Um, it, a lot of times the last quarter ends up when they're in the Super Eagles going into Omaha. So they're used to that. But that would be a little bit of a concern. But, boy, they're a good baseball team. And, and it, I agree with Joe that really – with them and UCLA and ASU and even Oregon that's having a good year and other teams in that league, I think the Pac-12 is back this year, and I think uh, we should expect some good – in Oregon State, we should expect some good things out of that league. Absolutely, and I, I think that that's a good point about you know both the, the concerns about uh, Stanford taking this next uh, week or so off, uh, but also it, they are used to it there. So if anyone – can handle, uh, you know, the the kind of you know momentum change that could potentially happen. It would be them. Uh, I think they have kind of a soft opening into Pac-12 play the following week, um, you know, which is is good for them as as they look to get back into it. But uh, you know, I, I think that that team, you know, again, I, I have just been very very impressed with them, and and it's going to be an interesting race out in the Pac-12 this year. Right now, it looks like kind of a three-team race between Stanford, UCLA, and Oregon State, and uh, UCLA and Oregon State playing the, each other this weekend. So what we'll see what comes of that. But I, I think that you know those three teams like the class of the conference. But I, I think there is more, uh, you know, beyond there is more depth beyond just the, those elite teams. But when you have those elite teams, people are going to perceive your conference a little bit differently because they have three teams right now that are, you know, Omaha contenders. Uh, you know, pretty firmly Omaha contenders. We, uh, we mentioned at the top uh, that Tennessee came into the rankings at number 25. Uh, Tennessee sitting at 15-1. and one. They've, uh, they, they've been pretty imp- uh, coming out of the gate, you know, starting 15-0, and 0, the best start in, uh, in program history, I believe. And, you know, then they, they do lose that finale against Fresno State, but still a very strong start. Uh, Dave, I know you've been able to see, uh, you were able to see some of that, that series this weekend. Just uh, what are your thoughts on Tennessee going into SEC play? Well, I think they, they really got tested this weekend with uh, what I think is going to end up being a solid Fresno State team. I had a chance to talk to Coach Bates all before the game and uh, before the series, and he really likes this team. Uh, felt that they haven't hit stride yet. They've been playing in bad weather like many teams around the country. He really likes it's an older group. Uh, he feels they're going to be offensive. And I think that kind of showed a little bit this week. And I think Tennessee was finally tested from the other side offensively. I thought uh, Fresno had a good approach. I'm concerned if you're Coach Anderson, who works with the pitchers at Tennessee, is uh, I think the walks went up a little bit more this weekend. And is that due to the fact that Fresno had a little more way offensively? Garrett Owens had another good start on Friday for, for the Vols. But he got hit around a little bit, gave us some hits. And that's, that's a little bit of kind of been his M.O. a little bit. He's such a strike thrower and doesn't have unbelievable stuff, but he has good stuff. Um, uh, Zach Lingenfelter had a very good start in Saturday's game. It was a game that was, that was uh, throughout the whole game. There was a steady drizzle. It became a little bit heavier as the game went on. Uh, Tennessee kind of jumped out to an 11-0 lead. And like most coaches do, Coach Vitella started putting in some other guys, making some changes. And next thing you know, it's 11-8 to eight in the eighth inning. And uh, Fresno has two guys on, and the umpires stopped the game. And uh, I know there was a bone of contention for Coach Bates on that. It's been raining all game. Why are you stopping it now? They end up stopping it. 
Tennessee comes back in the first game Sunday. They're, they're suspended and comes out with Garrett Crochet. He ends up stopping that rally, and then it went 13-9. And then the, the following game, which was game three, um, I just saw uh, Fresno come out and just attack Will Neely. Uh, he was a little bit more elevated than I'm used to seeing Will Neely. They had some good approaches to it. It was a back-and-forth game. Tennessee, they, Fresno jumps out front up and lead, and then Tennessee comes on back, take a 5-4 lead, and then, and then um, Fresno goes ahead and, and scores a bunch of unanswered runs to end up winning 10-7. to But I think it was a good test for Tennessee going in. They're a good team. I don't think this is any panic button. We all knew that every team that's undefeated well, eventually in the game of baseball is going to lose a game. And it's how they handle this now. They go to Auburn, and notoriously the Tennessee program over the years has not handled playing on the plains very well. So I think this is a big weekend. They go into a place that has uh, – Auburn has very good pitching. Their first two starting pitchers are putting up great numbers. But I, I really, truly, like I've said all year long, I think this is a, the most suited team going into SEC play than Tennessee's had in many years. And, and uh, I think more about this team this weekend, and now they'll – go back to the drawing board and fix some things as they head into SEC play next weekend. I think uh, you know, Tennessee kind of transitions very nicely into the, the next subject we wanted to touch on, which uh, is as the ACC and some other conferences got going this last weekend, but most conferences start conference play this weekend. And uh, you know, I think Tennessee qualifies a little bit as uh, one of the biggest surprises of the, the season. I know a lot of people thought they'd be improved, but 15-1 and one is a little more improved than at least I thought they would be. But, uh, Joe, why don't you tell us about a team that, that has surprised you uh, so far this year? So we're going to talk about the U. Um, a very on-the-radar team, not typically where I go with this, but I, I have been surprised with them, specifically the way they've been able to step forward offensively. I tend to be sometimes a little bit of a skeptic when you have a team that struggles on one side of the ball, returns a lot of that same core the next year, and then the expectation is that they're just going to improve across the board. Um, while that can be the case, sometimes I'm a little bit dubious of whether or not that should just be expected uh, because a, a lot would have had to happen for that to be the case. And that's the way I feel about Miami's offense. They've just struggled so much on that the ball the last couple of years, and they returned this year a lot of that same core. And so I was just maybe having a hard time Come fully coming around to the fact that, look, every one of these guys is going to have to be significantly better or at least good enough this time around for them to be better as, as a team overall. And that's absolutely what's happened so far. Um, you know, they're hitting over 300 as a team, better than 400 on base percentage. Um, you know, Freddie Zamora uh, has, has really become a big guy on the, in this offense, leading the way, hitting over 400, had a walk-off home run against Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia Tech was this close to winning that series. Um, you know, on the, in the Saturday game, they had a lead going into the bottom of the ninth inning and Freddie Zamora hits a, a walk-off home run to left field. But, uh, you know, he's having a nice year. Raymond Gill having a nice year. Of course, Alex Terrell, uh, eight home runs already on the year. Uh, but you really just go up and down the lineup and, and everybody's back. Like what people said would have to be the case for them to improve. And there was an assumption that would be the case. That's absolutely happened. And so, um, you know, I, I was kind of uh, wrong on them, thinking that maybe, yes, I thought some of these guys would improve and they would show some improvement on the offensive side of the ball, but I didn't really necessarily expect this. Um, they're sitting at 12-3 and three overall. Uh, obviously, two of those losses were in the series to Florida, but I don't even really think of that as a negative on their resume. We talked about it a little bit with the opportunity Carolina had earlier. Miami took advantage of that to a certain degree. I mean, they were disappointed to lose that series, uh, but they did come up with at least one win in that series, which is going to show nice as a, as a road 
high RPI win come the end of the season. So as long as they take care of the business otherwise, I think that's going to end up being as much of a, um, a neutral thing uh, as much as a positive or negative on their resume. So uh, you knew the pitching was going to be there, and it absolutely has. Evan McKendry's been very good. Chris McMahon has been good in showing electric stuff. Brian Van Bell is kind of a nice, uh, more of a good college to have going on Sundays. So, um, you know, not to mention some of the new Slade Sacconi, for example, one of the new faces for them. Uh, so you, you felt pretty good about that, had questions about the offense, and, and they've just answered every one of those questions I think we could have possibly had about them. Yeah, I mean, the that team is going to be tested this weekend, and but I thought that they passed a pretty good test this week, uh, beating a good Georgia Tech team and starting ACC play at 2-1. and one. Uh, That was an important series for them to win, being at home and, and gain – you know, gain conference playoff to a good start. So it'll be interesting to see how the Canes uh, continue to develop this season. They're still a pretty young team. You know, we talk about uh, Arizona State and, and some of these other teams as, as, that last year were, were super young teams. Well, Miami was rather young last year, too. And, um, you know, the, I, I think that, you know, having those kids be a year older and a year better or stronger is, uh, is going to pay dividends for them. Uh, it certainly has so far. Uh, Dave, uh, how about you? Who, who's uh, impressed you the most so far? I don't know if I want to say impressed. I'd say a, a team that, and a program that's on a rebound, and that would be Penn State. Uh, I think Rob Cooper and his coaching staff have done a great job. You're talking about, I talk about small sample sizes. They've played 12 games, and they've won 60% of the amount of games they won last year in the 49-game slate. They were 15-34 and 34 in, in 2018, and they're already 9-3, and three, and they've done it all on the road. They were down in Florida, which seemed like for two weeks down there playing teams. They've been in Cary. They've been all over the place, and they haven't been at home yet. And, again, it's the start of the season. It's 12, game in, 12 games in. They've been no-hitted already this year. Uh, but I think it's a big turnaround for Penn State. And they're only hitting two thirty-eight as a team, but it's been about their clutch hitting. They've gotten uh, – their offensive guys have been Dorsox, Chris Clemmer and a name I love, Gavin Homer. Those have been the three guys that have been the big run producers and, and have been pounding the numbers for them, but they're only hitting 238 as a team, which just goes to show they're getting timely hitting when they need to. They just they go down to Central Florida and win the series against a good Central Florida team on their field, which goes to show me that they are trending in the right direction. I think where the biggest change has been for them is their pitching staff. Last year they pitched in the mid-five ERAs, now they're down in three nines. Uh, I think Josh Newman has done a good job with that pitching staff, and they're going to continue to need to get that because I don't know if they're going to have the offense that's going to be able to be the juggernaut that's going to when they get to the Big Ten on on carrying them to victory. They're going to need to continue to play good defense and continue to pitch. But um, very happy for them. Rob Cooper's a a good coach um, that's had that has struggled there. They're off to a good start, and you know we talked about this a lot confidence really can kill ways. I think we see that with Tennessee, and I think we're kind of seeing that with Penn State, too. They've got a tough road ahead of them still, but they're off to a good start, and they're going in the right direction. Yeah, it certainly is a bigger uh, from a year ago, and frankly, from the last several years. So I'm very interested to see what the Nittany Lions have uh, in store once they get into Big Ten play, which is still a couple weeks away uh, up north. I wanted to mention uh, Santa Barbara. I think UCSB has started the season, uh, you know, very very well. They're uh, they're off to an 11 and two start. They're coming off of uh, a sweep at Tulane, and they really hit very well this weekend. 
Uh, you know, they, they came out and, and they scored 31 runs on the road. And I think that, you know, this is a team that has some offensive potential and, uh, you know, has had it for a couple of years, but it seems like they're, they're tapping into that a little better right now. But I think especially uh, they're getting to a, you know, their potential on the mound. And I've, we've been, I've been waiting for some of these kids who, who came in as, as pretty prominent recruits to kind of figure it out and, and get it rolling for the last couple of years. And it seems like that's happening now. I'm talking about uh, especially guys like Ben Brecht and Jack Dashwood, uh, who, who have very good in, the ro- uh, in starting roles for the Gauchos so far. Ben Brecht is, has 32 strikeouts, and five walks, and 22 innings. Um, and, and, you know, the, the whole UCSB pitching staff, is pitching like that as a team they're averaging 10.64 k per nine which is is very impressive and they have some nice arms in the bullpen uh chris lincoln is is really good coming out of the bullpen and and chris troy i know is a guy that um you know is is very exciting as well as a converted catcher and you know both of those guys have some power arms back there and so i think if ucsb can can continue this offensive surge i think the pitching is showing right now that it's definitely going to, you know, that they've figured it out, that those kids are ready to go now. And so if this offensive surge continues for UCSB, I think that that's, uh, you know, a team that, that can really play at a high level in the Big West. And we're only a couple weeks away from the start of Big West play, and they're going to start it against Fullerton uh, on the road. So we're going to find out pretty quickly how they, uh, they are in the Big West. But you know, when, when you look at the Big West, obviously we've had Irvine ranked all year, and I think that we all think that Fullerton is a pretty solid team that, you know, just to, you know, uh, going to continue the, the, the line of, uh, you know, powerful teams there at Fullerton. I, I think UCSB can get in the mix there, and if the Big West can have a team like that jump in, you know, that'd be big because, you know, the last couple, of, the last couple of years, it, it's, it hasn't been... Uh, quite as good at the top. It's been more of a one or two horse race sometimes, and I, maybe this year it, there can be a little more depth uh, at the top of that conference, which is always solid top to bottom. But if you have you know, teams like Santa Barbara and, and, and Fullerton all operating at a high level, that that should make for a pretty fun spring out in the Big West. So now, guys, I, I want to move on to our to our shout outs. Uh, so who uh, who do you want to shout out this week, Joe? So a couple things. One is a, a shout out to what I always describe as homecoming week here in the Midwest, uh, because it, it feels like uh, teams are finally starting to make their way back home. There's some hardy souls who have tried to play early in the year. Uh, shout out head coach Andy Sawyers in Southeast Missouri State, who played a home series over opening weekend, uh, had to shovel snow uh, to get it done. But I have a lot of respect for that. They're like, no, we're playing at home this weekend and we're going to shovel snow to get it done. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, but no, it just, it, we're getting to the point where a lot of teams of Ram are starting to come back. A lot of them have their first series weekend, uh, with many of them starting or having at least one tune up weekend before they get into conference play. Um, some teams have tried to do it a little bit this year and have gotten burned. I mean, famously Nebraska was going to be playing Baylor, um, at home this past weekend and it ended up getting moved to Baylor. I guess from a postseason standpoint works out better for them because now they have a nice road series win. So there's that, but um, so that's always a big deal up here. It's kind of nice to uh, to have uh, more going on uh, in the Midwest and Northeast now that uh, the weather's just slightly warmer in general, but slightly warmer. Uh, my other shout-out is William & Mary uh, out of the Colonial, a uh, team that uh, won all of three conference games last year. Uh, you know, what will remains to be seen how many they win in conference because they haven't started yet, but they won just 15 all last year, 15 and 39. They are 12 and 1 this year. 
Um, and there's some there's some quality wins on their resume there too. I mean they they uh, have a win over Virginia. They just finished sweeping Campbell, a team that, that I think we think is pretty talented and uh, could be a player in the Big South. So a, a quick start for them. And this is a program I think that is probably better than most people recognize. Now they're obviously in the Colonial, where all that ends up kind of mattering is the conference tournament, unless it's one of the years when. For instance, UNC Wilmington is pretty good and gets into at-large contention. But for the most part, this is a one-bid league, and so it comes down to how well you play that week in May. Uh, but, you know, they've won 30 or more games in five of the last seven seasons. Uh, they were in a regional as recently as 2015, um, and they'd won a couple years before that, I believe. So uh, really just kind of a con- quietly consistent program in the Colonial, off to a really good start this year, um, and looks much improved over uh, last year, at least as far as the records go. So I'll be interested to watch them continue throughout the rest of the season. Hey, the Colonial was a two-bid league, but... Uh, two bid league last year, Joe. So oh, you got to watch out them. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dave, uh, who do you got? Well, I want to I want to give a shout out to Texas Tech's offense this past weekend against Wichita State in sweep. They only hit five fifty one with runners in scoring position, which would equal uh, success. Uh, that's an unbelievable number. Uh, obviously. We talked early in the year about the offense. Our question was their pitching staff. Their offense is obviously clicking on all. That's an amazing number right there to hit over 550 for the weekend with runners in scoring position. Um, from As I like to do with the coaching shout-outs, uh, uh, we've talked a lot about Coach Morton, but I want to say that again. Congratulations to 11 on win number 2,000. That's an unbelievable number to say. <clears throat> but then also Ed Blankmeyer at St. John's winning number 800 during the midweek out in California against the University of San Diego. And Tim Corbin this weekend winning number 800 at Vanderbilt. And just to go to show for the listeners how, how unbelievable Coach Martin's number of 2,000 is, you're talking about Tim Corbin and Ed Blankmeyer, two wonderful, great coaches that have coached for a long time, are still 400 wins short combined to Coach Martin. That just goes to show what he's accomplished. Absolutely. And I want to add one more member to the 800-win club. I guess it was win your 800th game week uh, in college baseball because Rich Maloney of Ball State, my alma mater, uh, hit yep. number 800 right. uh, this weekend as well. And I, those three guys uh, you know, have incredible careers. And, yes, they are 1,200 wins behind where Mike Martin is. Uh, but congrats to uh, Coach Langmeyer and Coach Corbin as well. I wanted to mention. I will uh, cut oh, in here ahead, real Joe. quick, Teddy. I I uh, I was wildly disrespectful to the Colonial. I have gone back and looked. Now they've been a two bid league three of the last four years. Obviously, last year it was Northeastern, kind of upsetting the uh, the order there and in, in getting postseason of the good year. But yeah, three of the last years Colonial a two bid league. So my uh, sincere apologies. I mean, I, I it comes off a little snarky, but sincere apologies. I uh, I guess I just kind of overlooked that. But between College of Charleston and UNC Wilmington being inconsistent, and Delaware got in one year, so uh, two bid league more often than not of late. So my my apologies to the Colonial. You, know, you can build some pretty nice resumes in the Colonial. We'll see if William and Mary can do it this year. Also wanted to mention Bryant, which is uh, off to a, a solid start. They uh, have now won back-to-back series against Virginia Tech. And then this weekend, Elon, they beat Kyle Burnovich um, in the first game. And then George Kirby also shout out George Kirby, who threw a one-hitter uh, against Bryant. And then Bryant... So Brian and Elon playing a doubleheader on Sunday because of some rain. Uh, Bryant wins in 16 innings, 6-5, to five, to, uh, to win a very hard-earned series win at Elon. 
uh, having to beat a preseason in Kyle Burnovich and then a 16-inning marathon in the at the back end of a doubleheader on the road. So the Bulldogs, uh, since they've got swept at LSU, no shame in that, uh, have really been on a, a, a solid here. And uh, you know this team, I don't think, is going to put together the kind of resume that they did three years ago in 2016 when they wound up being a two seed. But I do think that this is a team that you know has some firepower and. You know, I, we'll see if they can get themselves into at-large territory if they need But if they are able to get into regionals, whether it's an at-large or winning the NEC tournament, you know, that's going to be a team that, that I don't think a lot of other teams are going to want to see show up in their brackets. So I, I think, Brian, team to watch up in the Northeast uh, this season. So I think that'll, that kind of rounds up week four of college baseball. Week five is going to be absolutely... Uh, amazing, hopefully. We mentioned that conferences are starting to get going this week uh, throughout much of the country, and the Big 12, Pac-12, and SEC all start conference play with a top 10 series. So those should be uh, pretty fun as as conference play gets going. And so we're going to have a lot to talk about next week on uh, the Baseball America College podcast. So make sure you're subscribed uh, to it so it, it just pops into your favorite podcasting app. And if you can, uh, if you can uh, rate us and leave us a review, that helps other people find the podcast and let us know what, what you think of it. So if you uh, can take a few moments to do that, we would really appreciate it, especially if that's uh, you tapping on the, the five stars. Until then, until next week, when, we'll, when we will be back with that and a, a new top 25, make sure to check out uh, all of the Content over at BaseballAmerica.com. It's not just college content. There's also uh, plenty of pro coverage. And this week, Ben Badler's international reviews, which are uh, absolutely invaluable. Uh, they, they are roll, beginning to roll out team by team. He, he breaks down uh, who everyone, uh, th- all, who all 30 clubs have signed in, in the international market over the last year. So uh, stuff you can't get anywhere else. So make sure to check that out over at BaseballAmerica.com. And to follow us on Twitter, I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is Joe underscore on underscore sports. And Dave is at Dave Serrano 11. So we'll be back here next week to talk about an exciting start to conference play throughout the country. And hopefully you will join us then. So thank you for listening. Doctors take Field of Greens for their own health. Here's Dr. Ryan Green to explain. We're like you, too much fast food and not enough exercise. That's why I take Field of Greens. The fruits and vegetables in Field of Greens support my heart, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism for weight loss. And Field of Greens promises your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Get 15% off with promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. That's promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. Product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.